You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to the official podcast of the Milwaukee Brewers. This is Brewers on Tap. Here's the pitch. A curveball! It's time to tap the keg with Lane Grindle. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 100 of Brewers on Tap. Lane Grindle with you. And what an exciting time for this podcast as we've made it to 100 episodes. First 36 or so by Jeff Levering. I've handled it the rest of the way. And uh, really cool to, to reach 100 podcasts here with Brewers on Tap. We've got a big show for you. Uh, we're excited about it. We're going to bring back the creator the founding father, the godfather, if you will, on Brewers on Tap. Jeff Levering is going to join us. We're going to talk about the creation of this podcast and, of course, talk some brewers. And then we're also going to talk to AAA manager Rick Sweet. Uh, Rick Sweet is with the crew, of course, on the bench here uh, with the Brewers down the stretch as this playoff chase continues. And so he is going to join us, and we're going to talk about some of the young guys in the farm system. Uh, that should be exciting, and we hope that you'll be there with us for that as well. should be a lot of fun. Let's jump into the week that has been. This is, of course, getting down to nail-biting time. I mean, this is this is what it's all about. The last couple of weeks of the season, and the Brewers right in the thick of the NL Central race, three and a half back of the Cubs as we sit here and talk to you, and uh, right now two games back of the Rockies and the NL wild card. You could not ask for anything more than to be right in the thick of this thing down the stretch. Meaningful baseball in September. Well, last Wednesday, as we pick things up, an 8-2 win for the crew, and they needed it. They needed that series win over the Pirates after losing the first game of that series on Monday, 7-0. They come back with a 5-2 win on Tuesday and trying to win that series Wednesday. They get it done, and what a play by Brett Phillips. He has continued to impress with his arm defensively. One and two on Diaz. Infielders playing back with a four-run lead for the crew. Anderson throws. Little flare, shallow center. Phillips coming on. Makes the catch. Tagging, trying to score freeze. Here comes the throw home. It's online. They got him! What a throw from Brett Phillips! You could not have a better throw home than the one Phillips just came up with. Of course, there was an off day on Thursday, and the Brewers didn't know until Wednesday if they were going to Miami for the road series against the Marlins, if they're going to host them at Miller Park, what was going to happen. And it turned out that the Brewers were going to host the Marlins because of Hurricane Irma, and the Marlins, who were on the middle, uh, in the middle of a long road trip, decided, okay, we're going to fly into Milwaukee, we'll play this home series for the Marlins, in Milwaukee at Miller Park, and so it was a little different. Brewers hitting in the top of the first inning instead of the bottom of the first inning in their own ballpark, but that's what happened. And Friday, there was an eight-run inning on the way to a 10-2 victory, and it was capped off by a huge blast off the bat of Neil Walker. Right now, it's Ellington. Here it is. Walker sends it to right, center, and deep. Get up! Get up! Oh, baby! 
threw one right down the middle and he nailed it and knocked it out of here and the Brewers open it up here in the eighth inning. It's 7-2 Milwaukee. Saturday, the crew fell 7-4 to four at the hands of the Marlins. And then on Sunday, another snowman from the Brewers' offense. Domingo Santana just loves Sundays. A base hit and a walk today. Peters throws. Line to the left center. That's going to split the alley. The Brewers might score all three. One is in. Two are in. Here's the third. Safe. Five-nothing Brewers on a bases-clearing double by Santana. That resulted in a 10-3 win for the crew. Then the crew got on the road, and the Pittsburgh Pirates, this has been a tough place. Pittsburgh has been a tough place for the crew this year, but the Brewers, who were swept by the Pirates in four games in July at PNC Park in Pittsburgh, pitching, continuing to be a strength for this ball club, a shutout on Monday night, 3-0, and Ryan Braun got the scoring start. The 1-0 pitch to Braun. This is hit in the air, deep left field, barely moving his loop low. He looks up. Bye-bye baseball. Ryan Braun for the 17th time this year goes deep, and the Brewers take the lead 1-0. A tremendous outing from Brent Suter in that one as he gave the crew five shutout innings. The bullpen continued their incredible streak. And uh, we turned into Tuesday with the crew looking for that series win, and it took another shutout to do it. Domingo Santana with a solo home run in the fourth inning. That was the only scoring. Chase Anderson threw six scoreless. Anthony Swarzak with two scoreless. And Corey Knable is save number 37. And the crew wins their 81st game of 2017. That means no matter what happens, the crew is going to finish at least 500. They will not have a losing record this year, even if a disaster hit. The crew, of course, Looking for a lot more than that. They're at the high water mark now of 11 games over 500. They are in position to make this push and get themselves into the playoffs here in 2017. They'll finish up with the Pirates tomorrow night here in Pittsburgh at PNC Park. And then it's that Cubs series. We'll have more on that coming up in just a little bit. All right, let's jump into it and let's break it down. Let's break it down. As we break it down on this week's edition of Brewers on Tap, we break down the origins of the Brewers on Tap podcast. With this being episode number 100, the creative team at Brewers on Tap decided that it would be great to bring on the founder, the founding father, if you will, of Brewers on Tap. And that, of course, Jeff Levering, my broadcast partner in the booth uh, during mainly road games uh, over the course of the season and the guy that passed everything along to me. How's it feel? 100 episodes. I mean, you're sharing this a little bit. This is a big deal. I mean, I am, but I mean, you've done two thirds of the work anyway. I got I got one year down. I kind of feel like we're in the movie The Matrix a little bit and you're meeting with the guy that created The Matrix. Yeah. Um, but I'm certainly not that smart. So uh, I'm, I'm glad to pass the torch on to you and you've done a great job with it. Well, and, and, and it's been easy for me because of the fact that you had put kind of a template in place that I could just take over and, and run with. So let's go back to that. What, what were some of the thoughts behind a podcast that started as scratch and evolved into what it was when, when I came here a couple of years ago? It's, a, it's um, really interesting because when I, I ended up getting the job in 2015, they said, hey, why don't you host a podcast for us? And I said, okay. Well, I've hosted you know hour-long radio shows before, but I've never done a podcast. Uh, podcasts were kind of new 
uh, maybe a year or two. That's really when the podcast explosion had happened. So we kind of got in at the at the ground level, which was fun. Um, and the best part of when I took over, I had creative license to do whatever I wanted with it. If you go back and you listen to episode number one, it sounds totally different from episode number 36 or whatever it was when I left it. And now totally different from number 100. So it's kind of morphed. And, and that's what I enjoyed most about doing it is that I, I could have the creative freedom with it. There were a couple of elements that stayed consistent the entire time. I did the minor league highlights and, and interviews with front office members and with players and coaches and um and in the first year i wanted to kind of make sure that it it really was a great way for me to get to know the organization more than anything else that that was one of the big tools of doing the podcast was getting to know everybody around whether it was players coaches beer vendors uh i interviewed dean roscoe the organist in my first year just to to get a feel for what it was like to be a brewer and a brewer's employee so I think that's kind of the genesis that I had when I came up with it. What do people want to hear about? Who are some people that might be around the ballpark that people might not know and might want to get to know? So that, I think that's kind of the origination of where I wanted to go with it. And it's taken a lot of different forms, and, and um, I'm very pleased with the way it's turned out. Well, and for me, you know, when I got my start in radio, one of the things I enjoyed beyond being in front of the microphone was the imaging part of a talk show, which is what I, I did a lot of talk shows as well. And, and I think that's what's really fun about a podcast is you're not confined to a certain amount of time, and you, you can get pretty creative with how you image the show, both from a, a sound standpoint and, and where you want to take it from a from a segment standpoint, and, and you kind of hit on that. And I would echo your sentiments. I think it was a great way for me to meet a lot of people in the organization that at the major league level maybe we wouldn't uh, spend as much time with but guys that are you know our roving instructors and things of that nature really it's really great in spring training i think that's when i enjoy the podcast maybe the most is during spring training because of all the different subjects that you can go recruit and, and make a part of the show yeah and, and it forces you to make those introductions too. um go out there and do the interviews get to know everybody um, and you mentioned the segment parts of it. You know, I know you brought to the table the whole um, sabermetrics of it, and I thought that was a great addition to it, as well as the, I think I did Bre- uh, this date in Brewer's history and a couple of other things and making the segments flow. The, the first episode I ever did, there was no real flow to it. I just kind of talked and talked through it, and, and we kind of, after a couple of people listened to it, they said, well, why don't you add some interstitials? So it kind of breaks some things up within the segment. It's not just this big rambling thing. Um, but I think the segment portions of it are really good. Um, it gives some clarity to the listeners. They know what to expect on a given day. Um, and I think it's great. And, and, again, part of it, we wanted to make sure that the podcast in the beginning was essentially something that people could listen to on their commute or on or on a on a run or something make it like a 20 or 30 minute podcast sometimes i went over that just because we had such great content but make it the commute so that people can listen to it in, a, in one sitting all right so as much fun as it is to talk about the podcast that we're currently on let's talk for a second about this brewers team and, and where we're at i mean this has been an amazing journey this year we haven't had you on the podcast this is this has to be so exciting for the fans. We feel it when we go to the ballpark every day. What's been the biggest surprise to you, or what has stood out to you the most about this run this team's in the middle of? 
I think it's the pitching. Uh, that was the big question going into this season was, is the pitching going to hold up? And, and a lot of questions at the beginning of the season and in spring training were, well, this team's going to be competitive if this happens or if Orlando Arcee has a great year or if Ryan Braun stays healthy or if Travis Shaw becomes a great third baseman. Well, those what-ifs have been answered, and the Brewers, at the time that we're recording this, are 10 games over 500, a chance to get to 11 games over 500. They're right in the mix. September baseball is relevant in Milwaukee, and you can tell that in the fan base coming out in droves for that road series at home uh, against the Marlins. But the pitching has been so good this year. Starting pitching, and save for Jimmy Nelson, who got injured a couple of weeks ago against the Cubs, Chase Anderson, Zach Davies have been the anchors of this staff. The bullpen has been absolutely terrific. And it's hard to believe Corey Canable at this moment has 36 saves, and he wasn't the closer until mid-May. Yeah, that's incredible, and he's been one of the most dominant relievers in baseball, as has been well documented. It's weird to ask you a question when I kind of know what your answer is going to be because we spent so much time together. It feels weird to be like in a formal setting and asking you questions like this, but hey, uh, it's all it's all good. I think that the, what has happened with this bullpen over the last month and a half is really amazing too, and that's a credit not just to Craig Council and Derek Johnson and how they've used these guys, but to David Stearns and Matt Arnold in the front office for the additions that they did make. Anthony Swarzak ended up being a huge coup when they brought him in. Yeah, he's been terrific. The Brewers have only lost three games that he's pitched in in his time as a member of the Brewers. And J.J.'s done a great job, too. Jeremy Jeffers coming back into the organization and being comfortable. We've seen him pitch so well in his uh, month and a half since he's been back with the organization. And a lot of credit should go to, to David Stearns and to Matt Arnold for bringing these pieces in. And, and Craig Council talks about it a lot, how when those two guys came back into the organization, Jeremy Jefferson, Anthony Swarzak, how everybody else kind of backed up a little bit and their roles were more defined. You could get specific innings out of Carlos Torres. You could get specific innings out of out of Jacob Barnes. Josh Hader has morphed into just such a weapon out of the bullpen too. And Jared Hughes has had a great second half of the season. And it's because of these additions of Jeremy Jefferson and Anthony Swarzak that these other pitchers are able to kind of take a step back. They don't have to be the focal point of the bullpen, and they can continue to develop. All right, that's the godfather of <laughs> Brewers on Tap, episode number 100, and we brought him back for a reunion. Appreciate it. Hey, you got it, Lane. Keep up the good work. 101's coming next week. Let's crunch the numbers in Sabermetrics 101. Anderson throws. Little flare, shallow center. Phillips coming on. Makes the catch. Tagging, trying to score freeze. Here comes the throw home. It's online. They got him! What a throw from Brett Phillips! You could not have a better throw home than the one Phillips just came up with. Well, this week on Sabermetrics 101, we're actually going to look at something kind of beyond Sabermetrics and get into the whole stat cast conversation because Brett Phillips, who is turning heads here in September with his arm strength, with his spark plug ability, that big infectious personality, he's swinging the bat well, he's impacting the game in a lot of ways right now, but probably most known for his arm strength so far. He has really showing off that arm over the course of this season. And we told you, and you heard just a second ago, 
the big play from Wednesday's game against the Pirates when he made that throw that was recorded at 104 miles per hour uh, to complete a double play. That was just absolutely incredible. That was, at the time, the hardest throw of the year from an outfielder. It surpassed his 102.6 mile per hour throw that came back on July 17th in Pittsburgh at PNC Park. That was all surpassed on Tuesday night on a throw home from Brett Phillips when Adam Frazier was not going to tag against Phillips from third on a shallow fly ball to center field. But Phillips came up and threw home anyway, and that was 104.7 miles per hour from the arm of Brett Phillips. Now, granted, he's got a running start. He's got momentum into it. It's a little bit different than than saying apples and apples with him versus a pitcher throwing 104 miles per hour, but it's still unbelievable, and it's still absolutely incredible from Brett Phillips. So those types of numbers are the best that we've seen in all of Major League Baseball this year. That's what kind of arm strength Brett Phillips has. After his 104-mile-per-hour throw on Wednesday against the Pirates at Miller Park, he was told that he was given a 70 grade for his arm. Scouts grade on a 20 to 80 scale, and 80 is the best, and 70 is extremely good, but very few guys ever get 80 in anything. And Phillips said, well, if I threw it 104, how hard do I have to throw it to get an 80 arm grade? And he was joking. It was something he said out loud, but MLB.com heard him. And so Jonathan Mayo of MLB.com and uh, the crew, they all got together uh, not the crew is in the Brewers, but the MLB.com crew, they got together, they had like a 20-minute meeting, and they decided, yeah, we got to give this guy an 80 arm. So he has been now upgraded to an 80-grade arm uh, on MLB Pipeline's scouting grades, which is pretty cool, very impressive. Brett Phillips uh, is absolutely one of the exciting young players in this organization, and he has proven it time and time again since he's been up here in September. That is our Sabermetrics 101. Checking in on the farm. As we go down on the farm this week, we check in with manager Rick Sweet of the Colorado Springs Sky Sox, who is with the crew here and on the bench for Craig Council over the final couple of weeks of the regular season. And uh, what, a, what a year you guys had. It was a phenomenal year. And now, of course, here over the last couple of weeks of the season, you've joined the Brewers coaching staff uh, for this stretch run. But uh, let's go back to the year you had in Colorado Springs, a really talented group. You knew that going in, and, and they performed that way. Yeah, they really did. And it was uh, a very young group. We were probably one of the younger clubs all year. But the talent just went out there night after night, and it was it was exciting. But I think more importantly, it was a lot of fun. These guys learned a lot of different things about themselves, about being part of a team, and uh, and about winning and how much fun winning can be. You've been doing this quite a while, Rick, and and this was a major league team that's been in the mix from day one. How does that impact you as the Triple A manager when the big league club is in the hunt? Well, it, it really impacts me more. It actually puts more pressure on us, which is a good thing. 
uh, my my number one job is to service the major league club to make sure that when they need something, uh, I've got it ready for them. And and I I take a lot of pride in the fact that when when counts calls or or Tom Flanagan, our minor league director, calls and they say, hey, uh, we we need so and so or or. Uh, who do you think would fit here that I've got a guy that fits that it, that that guy that's ready to come up here and fill a role a role that they need at that time even if it's short lived uh I've got to have guys ready and my number one job is to have guys ready to come to the big leagues to play the game the right way and and help them win ball games Brett Phillips had a tough year in 2016 in Double A. Comes to Triple A, had a phenomenal year for you, and now is making some big time uh, contributions to the big league club as well. What did you see from him from day one? Obviously, it's a guy with a really positive personality first and foremost. So you you, you don't think that uh, one bad year would get a guy like that down? Oh, I think dynamically, uh, you know, he he's a dynamic personality. He he is a very very fun type of of ball player to have. I I actually begged pretty hard in spring training to get him with me just because I wanted to get him in in the environment that I knew we would create in AAA and and let him grow and he grew faster than even I expected I always have high expectations but uh his maturity level on the field just just was off the chart but maybe that's because he had a lot of room to grow he is very young and and very enthusiastic and and he's you know his laugh just tells you a lot about him uh, what a tremendous year he had. He grew day by day. I, I would tell him one thing or give him a piece of advice or, or you know, help try to form what he – and he'd just take it and run with it. He, he was a lot of fun. He was very exciting. And, and he's still got a lot of room to grow. Don't get me wrong. He's still a very young player, but uh, he brings energy. He brings life, and, and he likes to win. Another guy that you got a little over a month into the season was Mauricio Dubon, who's a very exciting young player, too. What did you see from him really being challenged at a pretty high level for his age? You know, it was a challenge, and he took the challenge on head on. He he made a lot of mistakes. Uh, again, you know, it's the when I say maturity, I'm not talking about maturity in life. I'm talking about maturity in the game and learning the game and understanding the, the ins and outs of what you're trying to do. For the major league level, my job at AAA is to make sure that when these guys come up here, they're ready to play at this level, not at my level. Uh, I don't worry about my level. They'll be fine because I've got patience and, and you know, I'll, I'll make sure I lead them in the right direction. But when we have that many young guys and I know that, that counts is going to need guys that are mature and ready, I, I push. I, I push pretty hard. There was more than one occasion when, when Phillips, I'd call him over and quietly like a father uh you know spank him a little bit and say hey you got to do this this that is you cannot do that you cannot say that uh to get him ready and he he was outstanding dubon is a lot the same way now i didn't have as much time with with doobie but he's going to be a very impactful ball player for the for the milwaukee brewers at some point in time 
just not quite yet. We we've got more time with him to get him ready. But another of our list of of players that are uh, you know going to help the Brewers win for several years, not just one year. Well, Rick, we appreciate it. Good to have you with the crew here for this stretch run, and you're familiar with a lot of these guys, so I'm sure there's plenty you can offer with uh, so many of these guys that you've had under your tutelage at some point along the line. You know, it's it's good. I think that I'm up here. I can give maybe a different insight. But for me, I think the part that's important, you'd think I've been in a game 43 years. I'm watching Counts and, and Murph, how they interact. I'm listening to DJ because, you know, I, I've said through the interview, i got to get guys ready for them. Well, if I don't know what makes them tick and I don't know how they think and, and see them in action, this is seeing them in action. Spring training's not, you know, yeah. seeing somebody in action. Uh, I'm getting a better feel, and, and that's happened here. I've I've gotten a few things that, okay, yeah, now I know where Counts is coming with that. And, yeah, when Murph says something, yeah, now I understand what he sees and what he's saying. So I think it will help me if I'm back in AAA next year, uh, even better prepare guys to come up here next year. Rick, we appreciate it. Always nice talking. Here's what's on tap. Here is what's on tap. It's the final home stand of the season, and boy, it's a big one. Four games with the Cubs, an off day on Monday, three games with the Reds next week. So let's just start with the Cubs series. You've got the 21st Thursday night. That's a 7-10 start. On Friday, make note of this, start time has changed. It's now a 6:35 start on Friday night against the Cubs. On the 23rd, Another time change. That is a 12.05 start. That is just five minutes after noon. It's a 12.05 start for the Brewers and Cubs on Saturday. Then on the 24th, a 1.10 start like it normally would be. And then an off day Monday. Then the Reds come to town. Final three games of the home season for the Brewers. Fan Appreciation Week. Going to be a bunch of exciting stuff going on. Fan Appreciation Night is the 27th. And uh, Season Seat Holder Appreciation Day is on the 28th. And remember, the 28th, another time change, that is now at 310. So the, the times for that series against the Reds, 640 on Tuesday, 710 on Wednesday, and 310 on Thursday against the Reds. Make note of those things in your calendar because you're going to want to be there for this final homestand. Crew is playing for a chance at the playoffs. It's going to be fun. That's going to do it for us. And episode number 100 of Brewers on Tap. Thank you for joining us. It's been a lot of fun. Feels like a birthday. Not really a birthday. Just the 100th episode of Brewers on Tap. Have a good one. We'll talk to you next week for episode number 101.